Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Uh, this morning, I am uh, really, uh, really blessed to uh, introduce Jeff Vanderstelt. Uh, he's going to be bringing the word this morning. Um, I have known of Jeff and known Jeff for uh, quite a bit since he moved to the, the Puget Sound area. He has a, a heart for the church. And uh, when I say the church, I mean the church universal. Uh, he's invested uh, many years in this area as a pastor, as a church uh, planter and networker, uh, has a, a, a big heart for discipleship. Um, and so this morning, uh, we are uh, privileged to have him with us. And so would you welcome Jeff this morning as he brings God's word. Thanks, Jeff. And I'm just going to go ahead and pray for him. We love to pray for our, our visiting speakers, so just agree with me in prayer. Father, uh, this morning, we need to hear from you. And so, Lord, as Jeff opens up the word, as he shares with us from the word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. Would you give us hearts to receive this morning? Undistracted hearts? Um, un, uh, hearts that are not um, burdened by our sin, but have been... Uh, set free by your grace, Father. May we receive all that you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Good morning. morning. It's such a joy to be with you guys. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Janie and I were grabbing tissues while we were worshiping through song just because it's such a joy to be with brothers and sisters in a different place but part of the same family and I don't know why she was but I know for me the tears were coming because I just love Jesus and his grace and I need him really badly. So I need him badly. I need him so desperately. So to sing and to hear you singing and to hear you just help us out, starting with just expectation of what God's doing and what he will do is such a blessing. So thank you for serving us well and leading us uh, through song as well. So it's a blessing. Sometimes I'm on the other side where I'm helping to plan, you know, and put together events and church services and all that. And for the last season, I've been able to sit back and just receive. And so today I received. So I hope that you get to receive from God's word as well. So if you have a Bible or if you use an app, uh, go to Ephesians 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. My family, by the way, is sitting here in the front row, so our second row right behind Andrews. So uh, they probably don't want me to do that, but I want you to know that they're here with us and they're amazing. I love my kids and my wife so much. So we're going to start in uh, verse 11, chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians 4, verse 11. We're not going to teach through this entire text, but I want to set it up with the context of this text so we understand the key verse I'm going to really spend some time on in the midst of this text. So Ephesians 4, read with me. He gave Jesus, uh, referring to Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, some translations say he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. So I'm going to just stop there and just say, therefore, if any of you are in Christ, you're a new creation, you're also a minister of the gospel. 
just to make sure that's really clear. It's not that this guy is the minister of the gospel. He's one of the equippers of the ministers, and the ministers are all the people who have the Spirit of God in them. So that's how God intends the church to work, that we are everywhere, every day, filled with the Spirit, doing the ministry of Christ in our work, in our neighborhood, where we play. We raise our kids to believe that's the case, that they are the church. They don't go to church. Okay, So that's really important to get the rest of what he's going to say. So he says, this is the point that we build up to the, in the body of Christ until we all, and you said it in Greek, that means all, which is absolutely right, until uh, uh, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the mature manhood, or that could be a, a, a translated personhood, or the true humanity God, God always intended you to grow up into. What sin has done is it's robbed you of your humanity. Sin has made you less human. And what God wants to do in Christ is to make you fully human. And Jesus was fully man and fully God. And sometimes we think about Jesus being fully God, but we forget that he was fully man. He is the perfect human so that we might live into our humanity if our life is in him. So that's what he's talking about, that we would grow up into the full measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which is the definition of being human. Okay? To be like Jesus is to be the best human possible. Okay? And every human wants that. You, you might be here and you maybe don't even know yet Jesus and his personal work in your life to transform you, but what he wants you to know is how you could become everything he made you to be. And through Christ, you can be. And that's what he hopes for you, and that's what today is even about. So that we may no longer be children. In other words, we're growing up in our faith, not remaining immature in our faith, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's what you face every single day, especially in the Puget Sound. <laughs> All around us, that, that is the battle for your hearts, for your minds, for your lives. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. That's another way of saying when every part is doing its job, everybody is getting benefit. Because he says, goes on to say that when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Another way to think about that is we are all members of a body and whenever one part of the body doesn't work right, the whole body suffers. When every part of the body is working, the whole body gets to be cared for and gets to actually become healthy. So every one of you matter. I want to make sure that's really clear. Don't let yourself believe that you're a lesser part of the body of Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are a necessary part, and your job is to be who God made you to be in this place and in the world. Amen? Okay. Is my mic on, by the way? Because I sometimes forget to turn it on. It is. Good. Great. I just didn't know because I didn't know if you could hear me because I didn't hear a lot of amen. So just, just kidding. Hey, there you go. All right. Key verse. I want you to look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love. So this is as opposed to being led by the world, being deceived, being, being tossed to and fro. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So I'm going to just focus on that, speaking the truth in love. Now, if you grew up in the, a kind of a church culture, that became like a, a way to say a mean thing to somebody. <laughs> right? Like, hey, brother, I just want to talk to you. Uh, you know, your worship leading was great, but, uh, you know, you're a little off, too, and a couple, you weren't, by the way, but 
But I, you know, I just want to speak the truth in love, man, because I love you. So I'm going to speak the truth. Right? And that's what we, we use that as. A, by the way, it was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, but we'll do that. You know, my, well, sweetie, I love you. I just want to speak the truth in love with you the other night. Went da, 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 and then it's like a preface to make the, a hard word easier. But that's not what Paul wants you to get out of this passage. Now, it is true we should love one another and we should speak truthfully to one another. And there are times when speaking truth will be difficult. Like we might have to bring a hard word to somebody because we love them so much. But Paul is not trying to give you like a, a little catchphrase for saying difficult things for, to people. Okay, that's not what this is because you want to keep reading, okay? If we keep reading and ask the question, what does Paul mean when he says speaking the truth in love? Look at verse 17. He continues. Now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That's a, that's a way of saying it in his context, people who don't yet know Jesus. Okay? They, they don't yet belong to the family through faith in Christ. Okay? In the futility of their minds, so he's describing a kind of thinking that doesn't produce anything, that doesn't go anywhere, that doesn't build up. They are dark, in verse 18, in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, key here, because of the ignorance that is in them. They're missing something. They don't know something yet. Which, by the way, should give us a lot of grace for people who don't yet know Jesus because their lives will look like someone who doesn't yet know Jesus, and we can't blame them for that. That's all they have. They're living in what they've been given and know. And I was there, to be clear, at one point in my life, and still am in parts that I don't know of yet. There are areas in my life where I'm still ignorant, and I need good people who love me around me to tell me the truth about what it's like to be on the other side of me. And he goes on, he says, due to the hardness of their hearts, they become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Now, it's important, Paul, big context of this letter, is Paul is correcting some ways in which they're not living in line with the truth of the gospel, where they're not living in ways that reflect that they actually believe what they say they know, right? Where their life doesn't demonstrate that they put their faith in Christ in that area, that, that's why he's bringing this to them. He's like, that's not you guys. Come on. Stop acting like you don't know the truth. Stop acting like you don't have Christ and all that he's done and done to change you and change your perspective on the world. And he goes on, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as say it with me, the truth is in Jesus. Jesus. Okay. So if we go back to verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Now, Paul just told us what that truth is. What is that truth? Jesus. Now, I'm not just saying like you just say the word Jesus every time you got to talk to somebody. But what he is saying is if, if we want to grow everybody up into the fullness in Christ, we've got to learn how to speak the truth of Jesus into everything. In other words, if we want them to grow up in every way into Christ, we have to speak the truth of Jesus into everything. Does that make sense? So any way in which you want someone to grow up into Christ-likeness, have the knowledge of Christ transform that part of their life, they need to know the truths of Christ that apply to that part of their life. See, what we tend to do is we think that the truths of Jesus are primarily for afterlife or at best forgiveness of sins, which is a big deal. I don't want to minimize that. But, but the truth of the gospel is that what Jesus has done in his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, present intercession before God the Father, which is him praying for you continually. I mean, if you want to know someone's praying for you, Jesus is praying for you right now is amazing. And he knows exactly what you need. So he's praying in accordance to your need to the one who can meet your need. That's what you have for like every second of every day in Christ. Your life is in Christ. You have someone praying for you all the time and it's Jesus himself. 
and then his future return. How does that apply to our present reality? So the question is, how does the gospel speak to everything? And that's what I want to start with in terms of the first point is that Jesus and all he's done for you is meant to speak to everything in your life, into everything. I call this gospel fluency because it's like learning a new language. Like if I really believe the gospel applies to everything, then I learn how to speak the gospel to everything. But sadly, many of us speak Jesus to only a few things. I was meeting with one of my friends recently. I meet with him every week. We do a thing called DNA groups. It's triads of three men who get together, pray for each other, share our our challenges, try to bring each other to Jesus in those particular areas of our struggle. And this guy, he, he and his family own a company that makes space parts for like Elon Musk, okay, and other companies that are making ships that go to the to space. So talk about a a high-pressure job. You get that wrong, that's a problem. Ship goes up, it doesn't make it, that's a problem. That's on you all the time. So he's got tons of stress. Oftentimes he's overwhelmed with the orders that they're receiving and their inability to keep up with producing the parts. So we were having a time together processing through that, and as he was telling me about the challenges of leading his company, I know that in my flesh I'm prone to give him counsel. Well, how are you ordering your, your, your employees and how many times you guys meet and have you thought through your timelines and budgeting your time well and planning well? And instead the Lord said, no, give him Jesus. Because he's, he's got plenty of worldly resources to figure that one out. He needs something better than that. And so I just said, wait a minute, do you, do you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead and was raised up, ascended to the right hand of God the Father and he said before he left, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you believe that's true for your company? You said it today, so I was like, okay, I'm going to that illustration because you just set me up at the gas pump. He cares about everything, doesn't he? And I just asked, do you believe that he has authority over your company? Do you believe he's the ultimate CEO of your company? And if you do, you can go to work for Jesus every day and say, Jesus, this is your company. You've got to provide. You've got to lead. I need your wisdom. If you can rise from the dead and, and overcome the greatest problem in the world, this is small to you. Can you give me the wisdom today? Will you take authority over this space, over this work, and lead it through me? And that's how he plans to do everything. It's through us, God works out his purposes. But he does it as we submit to the truth of who he is and what he's done. Some of you are parents here. How many of you, in your parenting, use all kinds of methods to try to get your kids to do what you want, but none of them look like Jesus, and none of them are giving them Jesus? By the way, I'm one of those. My kids are here. They go, my dad's not perfect. Lots of things he's messed up on. I'll give you a few I've done well. In particular, I think we've created a household of grace where we can show up honestly. Now, I don't know if my kids always show up honestly, and you don't don't look at them because they don't want you to look at them right now. But I remember a time when I was upstairs in our Tacoma home and I'm hearing my, my kids screaming, you know, yelling at each other and I'm wondering what's going on downstairs. So I come down, find them playing chutes and ladders on, the t- you know, on our, our dining room table. Maggie, who is our youngest, is sitting on the table for fear of what her brother and sister are doing to each other. And Caleb is holding a little, uh, one of those little cardboard uh, players, you know, where they have a plastic holder that stand up and it has no head. And, and Haley's like, he tore the head off. You know, she's yelling at him. And he's like, she cheated. And they're going back and forth. I go, stop. And I just pause. And everything in me wants to control the situation and get them to change their behavior. This point in, the, in my parenting, God was really kind to me and reminded me of the gospel that I have received and that I could give. So I stopped. And I just said, Caleb, it looks like you took the head off. So like, I think you did. And as soon as I noticed that he was 
trying to cover up, he did this thing I call the shirt ball. So he put his knees in his shirt, and then he pulled the shirt over his head, you know. So only through the little hole can you see hair, you know. He's just literally hiding. It's like Adam back in the garden, you know, trying to hide from God. You're like, I can see you. Like, you're right there. There's no way you're hiding. You're like, or when kids play hide and go seek, and they're hiding behind something because they can't see you, they think you can't see them, right? That's what it was like. And by the way, we all do this with God all the time, right? Like, he can't see me. You know, he sees you all the time. And the problem is, is because you, you intuitively know that, you think you've got to hide from God. But God doesn't want you to hide. He wants you to come out and receive what you need for why you're hiding. And so that moment, one of the moments that I'm more proud of, I have a lot of them I'm not proud of, I said, Caleb, you don't have to hide. You don't have to hide. Now, why was he hiding? Because of shame. And I know I've lived a life over the years of hiding at times where I think God is angry at me or ashamed of me or coming against me. And so I hide behind my good works. I hide behind my preaching at times. I hide behind my, my efforts to please God. He's going, to, don't hide. Come out from your hiding. I've already done enough to deal with your shame. And so I told Caleb, I said, and he, he was probably, I don't know, what, five then, six. He might not even remember. Uh, and I said, you don't have to hide. Jesus has already died on the cross for our sins and taken away all the shame that sin incurs. And you, you can come out of your hiding. God loves you and he sees you and he accepts you and he, he cares for you in this moment. And I watched him kind of like peek through the hole of his shirt, you know. <laughs> Finally he pulled it over and then he, he lunged at me. And I hugged him. By the way, a lot of times uh, we are the physical expression of God. And some of us just need to know that God wants us to run to his arms, regardless of what we've done, with zero shame, knowing that he loves and he accepts because what Jesus has done on the cross has forgiven you of your sins and removed your shame and covered you with his righteousness so that when God looks at you, not only does he see somebody dearly loves, but he sees righteousness all over you. So you can run to him and just go, oh, daddy, will you just hold me? I just need to know that it's okay, that what I've done doesn't change what you think of me. And as he did that, he lunged to to me and I held him, I got to be a physical expression of God's love for him. And then Haley said, see, I told you. (laughs) And I was like, okay, Caleb, hold on. (laughs) And she's a firstborn, so she's pretty compliant at times and (laughs) rules matter. And and so, you know, and at times I think uh, Haley would be honest that, that, um, you know, accomplishing things and, and doing things right is a good thing, but sometimes can be the thing. And uh, in that moment for her, it was nothing. And she's, I could see her kind of pointing the finger at her brother. And I stopped and I said, hold on, sweetie. I want to remind you that, that we don't point the finger at the one who did wrong. We point the finger at the one who paid for what we did wrong. So instead of blaming him, would you re- redirect the finger to Jesus and just go, Jesus paid for what he did. And therefore, I don't have to sit in judgment or self-righteousness over anybody else. By the way, this is a word we all need right now in this present moment because so many of us are looking down on someone who has a different political view, has a different response to, to the last pan, the pandemic we've walked through, or even people who believe differently than us. And we just we self-righteously sit over them and go, yes, you're wrong and I'm right. And that's just another way of saying, I still am insecure in my own righteousness in Christ because I need to make it comparable to yours. And so the more that I can be right and you're wrong, the more I feel right, self-righteous. And God's going, no, 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 your righteousness isn't in you. It's in me. And so when I said it to my daughter, you don't have to point the finger at your brother, point it to Jesus. And she stopped. This was a precious moment for me. She said, Dad, why do I always do this? She started to sound like the Apostle Paul. 
Like, why do I do the thing I don't want to do? And I said, because we all forget. We all forget the good news of Jesus, that we all get to point to him regardless. So whether we've done wrong or someone else has done wrong to us, we can look to Jesus as the one who deals with it perfectly. And so I just wonder for you, as you think through your own life, how often is Jesus flowing out of your mouth? How often is the good news of his life, which is for us our righteousness, his death, which is for us the thing that makes us right before God, that forgives us ultimate forgiveness for anything we've ever done or will do. His burial that put sin in the grave and overcame it, put it to death. Its condemnation against you is in the grave. It doesn't get to have a word over you again. I love the fact that he buried it and left it. Aren't you? Aren't you glad? And then he rose again. And we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead to live a new life by his spirit today. How much does that flowing out of your mouth as you parent as you counsel workers, as you think about your everyday life. But here's the deal. We won't be speaking Jesus into everything if it doesn't start with changing us, right? So it's got to start in you. So I want to just ask the question, is the gospel in you? Is it flowing out of you? Is it the normal reality for you to contemplate and celebrate and meditate on the truths of the gospel? Paul clarifies this. I want us to go back to these verses. He says, you're not to walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. In other words, he's saying, you're not. You're not alienated from the truth and you're not darkened in your understanding and your hearts aren't callous because you have the gospel in you. Now, Jesus, some of you might be going like, how come it's not flowing out of me as much as I thought? Well, Jesus says this. He says, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what that means is you and I are always going to talk about what we love, right? It's going to just come out of you. I remember, I wasn't going to do a sports reference, but I'm going to do it. I remember when the, when the, when the Seahawks won the, the first Super Bowl, that they, the, the most recent, you know, the last 11 years ago, was it? Maybe it was longer. I'm still living like it was yesterday, still on the fumes. Nobody had to be taught how to talk about how we won. They didn't have like classes. Hey, here's how you talk about the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl and how you can share it with your neighbors so they'll be excited that they won as well. Like nobody trained anybody on how to proclaim the good news of our victory. Why is it that we have to have evangelism classes to proclaim the good news about Jesus? Is it because maybe it's not that good yet to us? Is it maybe because it's not the thing we love the most? Because I know lots of people who talk about the food they love the most or the, 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 the restaurant they love the most or the activity they love the most or the new phone they love the most or whatever it is. You all talk about what you love. In fact, if you're a grandparent here, I bet you talk about your grandkids. If you're a parent here, I bet you you've been showing way too many pictures and we're tired of it. Stop posting your pictures on Facebook. Just kidding. Like, you don't have a problem talking about what you love. Whatever captures your heart is going to flow out of, your, out of your mouth. And so you could ask, has the gospel really captured my heart? The other thing I know is true is we talk about what we believe works most. Like whatever works in our life, we tell everybody about it. Whether it's a new diet or a new workout plan or whatever it is, we tell everybody about what works. I see it all the time on Facebook. Everyone's talking about what they think works, right? But here's the deal. The gospel is about the ultimate love of God in your life, and it is the thing that works more than anything else. It's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. 
You talk about what works most, what you, what you love most, and here's what I've found, though. Sometimes our love goes cold. When I first met Janie, I remember the first hiking trip I took with our pastor. I was a youth pastor, and he, uh, he, he, he at one point, because I was talking about her the entire time, so hours on a, on a, you know, in the mountain trails, I'm just talking about, she's so beautiful and so funny and has a beautiful smile and makes me laugh. And I just want to be with her right now. And he's like, shut up and marry the girl, right? Because <laughs> you talk about what you love. And I was absolutely in ca- just captured by her. But I will tell you, years into our marriage, some of our love grew cold. And we, it wasn't always easy. It hasn't been always easy. We've been married, it'll be 30 years next March. We just celebrated 29 yeah, that's something to, that's a miracle of God, be honest. Not because of her, but because of me. <laughs> um, but I remember a man sat down with me when I was having some troubles in our, just some struggles in our marriage, and he said, why did you marry her in the first place? And I started telling him all those things I told that first pastor on the trail. And he said, you need to remind yourself of that again, and you need to remind her that you see that in her again. Because here's what I've also learned. You love what you talk about. You don't just talk about what you love, you love what you talk about. And the more that I celebrate my wife and tell her why she's so precious and and means so much to me, the more that my love gets stirred up, which is why the scriptures are really clear that we're supposed to keep reminding each other as often as possible what we have in Christ so that our love won't grow cold, so that we won't forget. Because you're being told all week long that this is, this is all a bunch of lies. It's foolishness. Why would you put your life and trust in some guy that died a long time ago? We believe he rose from the dead, but most of the world doesn't. We believe he's still alive and in this place, and he is, but they don't know it. Some of you might even be here and go like, I haven't even met him yet. He's here. You get to meet him. His spirit is here to, to touch your heart. If you even sense some truth in this today, you're going, it's the spirit of God going, let me just break into your hard heart and give you a soft heart and give you the love of God afresh today. Maybe some of you have been walking in the faith for a long time and you need a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit to remind you that God sees you and knows you and loves you and wants you to experience the greatest gift of his affection today. Maybe you've never received it. Maybe you've been in church all your life and you've heard this message over and over again, but it's never changed you. And you know that it changes you because it starts coming out of you. You can't help it. So I just want to remind you again of the gospel. I've been preaching it all morning, but let me just quote a verse for you and, and unpack it just a little bit. We're going to go out of Ephesians. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed. This is the Apostle Paul, a man who is willing to die for this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God. It works. It works for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's Paul's way of saying this isn't just for a special group of people. This is for the whole world. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Don't miss that. For, from, by. That's past, present, future. That means God wants to set you free from a life of works, of striving, of trying to earn his favor, trying to earn everyone else's favor, trying to save yourself. And he's saying, I already did what you needed so your past can be dealt with, your present can be empowered, and your future can be secure. It's, this is a, a beginning, middle, and salvation. It's for everything in your life. It's for all who believe. Now, you don't have to do a thing 
other than just say, I've got to find someone, something that can actually rescue this man, this woman. And I, I don't have any hope unless it's Jesus. And I just want to say a couple things about that past, present, future salvation. First of all, you've been saved. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he lived a perfect life as a human in your place so that you have his righteousness to go before God as the thing that says to God, you are worthy. If you believe he lived his life for you, died his death in your place for your sin to forgive you, past, present, and future, to exchange his righteousness for your sin, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. I mean, that is amazing news. I used to think it was, this was the equation. My sin's really bad. Jesus' righteousness is really good. This is a zero. I'm negative 100%. He's positive 100%. And he died on the cross to forgive me my sins, took on my sin, and then I got to a 0% level. I'm forgiven, I'm clean, and now I got to do 100% of the work to become righteous. That's not what it says. It was this. 100% of his righteousness. If you believe you have 100% of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus for your sin, in exchange for your sin, and you stand before God 100% righteous, accepted before God, you're set free from, free from shame. You're set free from the guilt. Man, what did I did last week? Does that cancel out? No way. He died for all sin, once for all. All sin, tomorrow you go out and sin. It's already forgiven. Now, it doesn't give you a reason to go sin more. It just gives you a reason to walk in his grace and to have confidence to live a new life. That's what he's given you. It's amazing. So if you're sitting here going like, yeah, but you don't know what I did. He does. And Jesus cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's things you're doing that you don't know you're doing. And he's already said, forgive them. So if he's saying, forgive them for what you don't even know, I guarantee he's saying, I forgive you what you do know. Right? Right? That's such good news. And we've not just been saved from the penalty of sin, we're being saved from the power of sin. Jesus rose from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that that we stand in this gospel by which we are being saved. It's a present active. It's not just something that happened. It's still happening. Right now, you've got something you're going, I don't know if I've got the power to face this or the courage to go after it one more day. And, And God's saying to you today, You have the spirit of Christ, if you're in Christ, you have the spirit of Christ that raised Jesus from the dead. That's what you have. John 14, Jesus says, if you, all those who believe in me, they will do even greater works than I did. You said that, man. I was just going, like, the Holy Spirit is on you, preparing me through you. Do you believe that? You're being saved by the power that raised him from the dead. That means not only can you overcome sin, but you can live a life that looks like Jesus today. And third, you will be saved from the presence of sin. First Peter says that God's kept your, your salvation in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy it, where nothing you can do can make you lose it. I mean, it's an amazing gift to say, my salvation is secure in the hands of God. It's not based on my life and my behavior. It's based on Jesus' life and what he's done and secured for me in himself. That is such good news. Then you can face anything because you're not going to lose anything if your life is in Christ? Do you know it? Do you believe it? Are you experiencing it? And if you do, it will flow out of your mouth, man. You just can't help it. It'll start, I mean, it's coming out of me because I need to believe it as much as you. 
right? I'm in a space right now, I'm like, I was, we were singing, I'm like, gosh, I'm, I, I sometimes feel like I'm at just ground zero all over again in my faith, like another thing I've got to trust God for. And I've been walking with him for a long time. I'm 53, came to faith when I was 21, 32 years, and I still desperately need the message I'm preaching to you for myself. And I need a community who will help me remember, who will say it to me, will remind me, will say, Jeff, you've forgotten the truth of the gospel and you're not walking in line with it. Come back to Jesus in this area of your life. And that's the third part I want to end with is we want to be a people who not only speak the gospel, believe and are immersed in the gospel, but learn how to speak it to others. Create a space where people can show up honestly with their real needs. The apostle Paul addresses that, but before I go to that passage, I want to go to a verse in Proverbs 20, verse 15, because I I think the church could grow a lot in how we engage what I'm about to say. It says this, 20, verse 5, the purposes in a person's heart, a man's heart, is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Man, we need, a, we, need a, we need a different day where we don't just shout at each other. We don't just debate each other over Twitter or Facebook or whatever it is you're doing. We need a place where we listen to one another. We take time to really draw out the heart of another. Francis Schaeffer said this, If I only have one hour with a person, I will spend the first 55 minutes asking them good questions and finding out what's troubling their heart and mind. And then in the last five minutes, I will share something of the truth. What he's saying there is, you're not as smart as you think. You don't know what's going on in people. You aren't, you aren't, a, you aren't a, you're some kind of seer. You can't see into people's hearts. You don't necessarily know what's going on in a person and what their story is. And I mean, one of the things that Janie and I will laugh about every once in a while is when we go to a restaurant or fast food place and the, the person who's serving is really in a bad mood. And... I want us to slow down and go like, what happened to them today that's leading them to treat me so poorly? Instead of it being about me, maybe it's about something that's going on in them. So recently I had that opportunity with somebody and I said, how's your day been going? And she just stopped and said, why would you ask? I said, you don't seem like you're doing well. And then she started to share that a lot of pain that she'd been going through. And that changed the whole experience. And most often we're like, I demand you to treat me well instead of maybe we could slow down and like Christ with the woman at the well, be a little more inquisitive and find out why she's doing what she's doing. So I want to give you some things to listen for. Listen for pain. You know, when I, even today, already here this morning, I was with somebody and I saw pain on their face. And I said, there's a little bit more behind that okay, isn't there? And she opened up and shared. Because we want to listen for their pain because we know the one who, by whom, whose stripes they could be healed. Jesus suffered the worst of the pain so that he can enter into our pain and not only be one who gets our pain but can bring healing to our pain. Listen for their sadness, where they need comfort. Because Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who wept over Jerusalem, who even wept at his friend Lazarus' tomb even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. Too often we push people through their sadness. Be happy. Don't worry. It'll be okay. It's like, no. Let them be in their sadness because it's in their sadness that they might meet Jesus, the man of sorrows, who can bring comfort to their grief. 
Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If we don't let people mourn, they might never meet the comforter. Listen for their loneliness. Where they need a friend. Where they need a friend who promised he would never leave them or forsake them. Jesus is a friend who said he would stick closer than a brother. Listen for their shame. Where they need Jesus who took on the shame of their sin so they can come out of hiding. Listen for their guilt. Where they need Jesus to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Listen for their anger. It's okay to get angry. They might need to have a voice to speak out against the injustice that's occurred to them. If there's anyone who was really angry, it was God. In fact, the, the, the cross tells us how angry God gets when sin robs us of our relationship with him. If you want to see an angry God, look at the cross. Not angry at us, angry at what sin did to us and the injustice it brought into the world. Angry, so angry that Jesus would turn over the temple tables because they were preventing God's, the Gentiles from coming to God. And then listen for their fear. People are really afraid right now. And we don't tell them, don't be afraid. We tell them, fear not, for there is one who will be with you in your fear. Fear is not a bad thing, just to be clear. Fear is an indicator that you need help. Fear is an indicator that's a, that's a dangerous place out there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's not I'm afraid of God. It's the same as the mercies of the Lord are never ending. It's fear that God grants us to have so that we'll have an, uh, an acute awareness of our need for him. So when I feel fear, God wants me to go, you need help. Guess who's your helper in your time of need? The Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, right? So don't tell people, don't be afraid. Say, what are you afraid of? And let me tell you the one who can help you in your fear, bring protection from the danger and be a refuge in the place that you need shelter. But to be a people like this, we've got to learn to be a people that are present with ourself and our own need. I'm going to end with this text. Keep reading in Ephesians 4 if you have your Bibles. Therefore, having put away all falsehood. This is the continuation of Paul's conversation about speaking the truth in love. Put away all falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And this is how he gives an example of how to do it. For we're members of one another. And this is his example. Be angry. When's the last time you had a pastor tell you to be angry? Be angry. Paul's telling you, be angry. What is he saying? He's saying, stop pretending. Stop hiding. And what does he say? Be angry and do not sin. Yeah, we don't sin. You know how you deal with your emotions without sinning? You tell the truth about them. You feel them honestly. You realize you need help. You go to God who's felt every one of them in Jesus for you who can be for you what you need in your feelings. By the way, your feelings are God's intended way for you to become aware of your needs. Okay, if I feel sad, I need comfort. If I feel afraid, I need protection. If I feel angry, I need a voice and I need someone who will join me in it against the injustice of the world. Okay, if I need hurt, if I feel hurt, I need healing. He goes on, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, I, in my previous years, when I didn't understand what that meant, thought that was a way to tell couples, make sure you, you have your fight and clear it up before you go to sleep. Before the sun goes down. Or if you're in a relationship, hurry that thing up, man. Fix that thing as quickly as you possibly can. By the way, if you're married, that's the worst advice you could ever receive. If you're having a fight and you're tired, go to sleep. That's it. Go to sleep. You'll wake up in the morning. It won't be as bad as it was last night because you'll have some rest. And then maybe you can process it the next day. Okay, so a little marriage counsel for you if you need it. 
But what is he actually saying? Do not let the sun go down on your anger is another way of saying, don't put it in the dark. Don't take your anger and stuff it. Don't take your, your hurt and stuff it. Don't take your sadness and stuff it. Don't take your fear and stuff it. Don't take your shame and stuff it. Don't take your guilt and stuff it. Like, put away all falsehood. Speak truthfully to one another. I'm afraid right now. And hopefully a brother or sister in Christ can go, man, let me remind you of the one who said, fear not for I will be with you. Not don't be afraid. By the way, the, the people who are fearless are dangerous people. They're dangerous. They're raging at the world. That's what they're doing. Because they're going, nobody's going to threaten me. But what they end up doing is they threaten everybody. But people who are honest about their fear go, I need help. It's a dangerous place. I can't do this alone. I need God. I need you. I'm scared. What your little kid who has a nightmare needs is not for you to say, go back to bed and don't be afraid. They need you to, to let them get into bed and cuddle with you. Because they're not alone in the dark. They're not afraid of the dark. They're afraid of being alone in the dark. That's what our fear is, is that we're alone in it. So Paul could have also said, put away all falsehood, speak the truth, be sad, and don't let the sun go down your sadness. Put away false, all falsehood, speak the truth, be hurt, don't let the sun go down on your hurt. This is about us as a church becoming a confessional community, where we show up honestly with each other, with our need for Jesus, and that we're all ready to give Jesus as the hope for what we need. So I'm going to have you do something. Can I, am I okay? I'm a little long. Okay. In Genesis 3, God finds Adam and Eve hiding after they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what's the question God asks? Where are you? God's not confused or you know, having a, a hide, divine hide-and-seek game and he can't find Adam. It's not what's going on. He's letting Adam locate himself with a question, where are you? And because all Scripture is God-breathed, which means every single word that is written down in the original languages and the original documents was intended by God's Spirit for us to read in the way it was written. So the way that Adam answers is a clue for how God wants you and I to learn how to answer him when he says, where are you? And what does he say? I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, say it with me, afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself, which is also shame. And what is God inviting him to do? Show up honestly with me. Now, what if, what if Adam would have known it was okay to do that the first time? We really messed this up. God, will you help us? He would have went to God right away, but instead he ran from God, the one who could help him. Maybe that's what you're doing today. God's going, where are you? And you're like, you can't handle this. Where are you? You can't see this. Where are you? You don't want this. And God's going, no, 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 no. I want you. And I want you right where you're at. And I want you to show up honestly with what you really need so that I can be for you what I need. And see, here's the, 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 the beginning of you meeting Jesus is you being honest about how needy you are for Jesus. And if you aren't willing to feel how needy you are, you're going to go to God with all that you think you have together. And he's going, no, I didn't come for the, the, the righteous. I came for the unrighteous, Jesus said. I didn't come for those who are healthy. I came for those who are sick. 
And the people who think they have it all together and don't have any need for God are the people that are going to walk away from him over and over and over again. But all you're really doing is running from him and hiding in your own works, whether they be spiritual activities or your own work every day at your job. But in some way or another, you're running from the God who wants to rescue you and give you what you really need in Jesus. So here's what I want to do. And this will, this, I'm not going to ask you to share this with anybody. I want you to close your eyes if you're willing to do it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is not a gospel call to respond, though I hope you will respond in your hearts. This is me saying, close your eyes and ask God, will you show me what I need? And he, he'll, he'll do it through what you feel. Some of you are going like, I don't like all this feeling language. Well, Jesus felt every feeling perfectly. So what are you feeling right now? God's going to ask, where are you? Are you sad, lonely, hurt, afraid, feeling shame, guilt, maybe a righteous anger against the injustices around us? What are you feeling? Where are you? God, for the lonely right now, I pray that they would find in Jesus a friend who will never leave or forsake them. Jesus, just draw them to yourself. Have them just reach out their hand and let you take it and say, we're not doing this alone. I'm with you and I'll never leave you. Father, for those who are sad right now, they've lost something. They've lost someone. Lord, would you be the God of all comfort for them right now. You promised that you would comfort those who mourn, that they'd actually be blessed if they were mourning because they would meet you, the comforter. Father, there are those who are hurting right now. The prophet said it would be by your wounds, Jesus, that we would be healed. Father, would you bring healing to their hearts? Would you let them know that you felt what they feel, Jesus? You're a high priest who can sympathize with everything we've gone through because you yourself have gone through it and never sinned. Father, if there are people who are feeling afraid right now, I pray you would remind them it's okay to be afraid and run to you for wisdom to navigate this crazy world we live in for help because we can't do it alone, for protection because it's dangerous. Sin is dangerous. It's really bad. We need you. Father, for those who feel shame, let them know they can come out of hiding into your arms of acceptance because, Jesus, you took on all the shame and gave us your righteousness. For those who are feeling guilt, Lord, I pray they would hear the words that Jesus cried out at the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Receive his forgiveness today so you can walk free, no longer with the chains of your guilt holding you back. God, we are a needy people, and we are needy for you. And Jesus, you are what we need. So we just embrace you today and say, come, Be with us in our needs. Come deliver us from what has enslaved us. Come 
Heal us from what has wounded us. Come give us joy in our sadness. Come be with us as a friend. Help us, Lord Jesus. We are needy for you. We pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.